You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. One week ago, I was on here talking about, listen, I have more fitness than I have any right to have, and I'm kind of pumped up about it. I'm just going to progress to the next stage, but keep doing what I'm doing. And I did. Mm -hmm. And now I did a workout that I haven't done in about three years, uh, two, and it's a test workout. It's an OCR preparation race sim workout. And I now am right back to, I have no fitness. I am just a complete POS. I don't belong anywhere near a race course and I'll never be fast again. And I'm quitting. Um, surprise, my girlfriend's Jess is, my girlfriend Jess is here. Uh, what, Jess, do you have any advice for Bracken right now? Give up. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I think you should try again. (laughs) Good. We're on the same page. No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, if you've been listening lately, Jess, I don't know, but we talk about Bracken's screen names from time to time because they Mm -hmm. used to be very perverted or very goofy Oh, there no. were always some sort of sexual reference. Mm. And like the last month or two, it's been like... I, I just don't think you got it. It was never sexual. <laughs> I I misread the situation. Okay. Every uh, time. Anyways, of times now it's been like, I'm sore. Today's today's his screen name, as you can say, is POS. Wow. They're just like, we're trending in a negative direction here, Bracken. Yeah. Yeah. Are you doing okay, Bracken? No. 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 <laughs> no. I want... <laughs> I went from cloud nine <laughs> to the dumpster in one workout. Well, both of us clearly think it's funny, and Jess is giggling, so there's no sympathy being had here. But I think he's being serious. I'm not looking for sympathy. This is just an announcement. What was the mm-hmm. workout? That's called SoBud Fran. Are you familiar with the CrossFit workout Fran? Mm-hmm. Okay, so SoBud Fran is strung out backwards, upside down Fran. So you flip the order of runs, and, and re- or you flip the order of the rep scheme and make the runs long. So it's a, it's a CrossFit endurance workout. It's 1,200 meter run, nine reps of two different exercises, 800 meter run, 15 reps of both, 400 meter run, 21 mm, reps yeah. of both. And then I tack on a 200 at the end that's not in the actual workout, but it forces you to run at your most depleted. So the, the reps stack up, the fatigue stacks up as you get most fatigued from your run as well. Yeah, that's a tough way to run it. Yeah, and the initial 1,200 run sucks you into feeling better than you should, so working a little hard. So it's, I find it a very good OCR simulator workout because the way OCR is set up oftentimes is you have gauntlets at the end, and here you're doing 21 reps of two different exercises in between your last two runs. So it's like getting to the end of a course, and your arms are already really, really fatigued, and now you've got to work and put out reps. So the the way the workout is scheduled to be done is or rx is the reps are 9 9 15 15 21 21 of thrusters and pull-ups which is a a great workout because it gets you on all levels and then it makes you do above head work when you're already tired so you finish with 21 pull-ups and that's always tough for people but for ocr i generally change the reps up keep the reps the same but i change the exercises to see basically what i want to do for the race so for this one it was uh Grip switches and ram burpees were my reps, and I you cracked. I ate it. Does strung out upside down backwards Fran mean anything to you, Jess? 
Or is that like another language? No, you guys lost me. <laughs> and probably half the listeners. But... <laughs> yeah. Fran's just the workout. It's 2121-1515-99 of thrusters and pull-ups. Okay. And then I think there's a little bit of something in between, but then they just string it out, invert it, and make it longer running. Yeah, that's a way to really be in pain the last, like, I don't know, five minutes of just misery probably to finish that thing. Like, just pure suck. Yeah, so the best I've done is low 12s. And this was? Uh, this was 15 minutes. <laughs> Didn't you just um, finish a race this weekend? Maybe you're still... Two weekends no. ago. I'd oh, love if that were the case, ago. but mm. no. Shoot. It was the difference between compromised in a vacuum, 1,000-meter run, three minutes of work, 1,000-meter run, four minutes of work, and going running with just seconds of high output work right back to running right to overhead work up and down burpees and over the even the grip switches they like kirk you've always said it screws with your breathing mm. and it kills you in compromised running workouts the difference between a high rocks compromise running and ocr compromise running came out in that one and i left from feeling like i have good fitness in one and went to i have bad fitness in the other it seems like i don't know like a I don't know, like a 3K or a 1K round simulator workout, but I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate. Yeah. I give this yeah. one out as my 3K simulator for people before doing short course or like OCR worlds. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was injured uh, for long periods of time and I wasn't that well versed in CrossFit, I'm still not necessarily, but I basically looked up all the workouts and screenshot them and then did a version of them or added my own modifications to them to make a cardio component. And I will tell you what, like if you just want to like patch job your own like hybrid training plan, you could do it by just like keeping a cache of CrossFit workouts and then modifying as you like. And it actually worked. It took some thinking out of it for me. And some of those are brutal. I have a tab on my training plan that's just CrossFit endurance workouts. And then the version of them... I have all those in one tab, and then the next one is the OCR version of it, where I take the rep scheme and tweak it to what I want. But I think they're really good for pure compromised running. They're like second best option, I think, to outside of a dialed-in OCR workout. I think they're the next best thing. Yeah, I would go to uh, LA Fitness down the street and use the rower as my uh, cardio component when I was injured, and everybody looked at me like I'm the guy in spandex at a big box LA Fitness running around looking like I'm in the pain cave and yeah. everybody's like this guy's off his rocker it was I got looks and not in a good way right like it was like this guy stay away let's give this a guy crazy. a yeah, 20 foot buffer here he might eat me it's like one of those things Jess are you familiar with the uh, meme account your boy Scott Jurek no I don't think so doesn't ring a bell okay it's a running meme account it's like my favorite running meme account oh. they had one last week and maybe or this week and it was it was uh, just a guy there in spandex, and it said, like, PSA, hey, guy in spandex, we can all see your penis. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. true. Yep. That is true. That's right. And <laughs> and I I just, uh, when Lisa and I went to Navy Pier, and then two weekends before when we got away for her birthday, I had to force myself not to bring compression shorts as my workout gear for running on the treadmill. Because I thought, you're going to have to walk down through the hotel in this, in a non, it's one thing at, at a Spartan race weekend when everyone in the hotel is used to it. Mm -hmm. But do I really want to work out and have a complaint that there's some guy in his underwear working out? And it's a, uh, it's foreign yeah. to me because I work out almost exclusively in my basement in very, very revealing compression shorts. Yeah, Kirk does too. 
What do you think of spandex on men, Jess? I used to think it was kind of gross until I met you and like realized like you guys all wear spandex. And now, now I'm used to it. No, Kirk, sorry. Um, but before Kirk, oh, I, yeah, now it's fine once I've seen Bracken and spandex. <laughs> no, but now I understand the reason. Yeah. Now I think nothing of it. It's better than split shorts. It really is. Yeah. Do you want the outline of a penis or do you want man thigh all the way up to like your <laughs> hip? I would take penis outline over man thigh up to the hip. <laughs> No yeah, comment. And, and we know that about you. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> what would you take, Jess? What's you prefer? Outline a penis. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. Either, they're both good answers. <laughs> Lisa's not a fan of, uh, of of running shorts. Yeah. You know, leave it to you, Bracken, to have a woman on this podcast and somehow bring it to your junk. Like, it's like this was no coincidence. <laughs> I'm just saying it it directed itself here eventually one way or another. I'm wondering. And, and I'm just saying it's all good. I am showing Jess respect by treating her just like I would a man. Thank you. Do you feel respected? I do. And if the audience knew uh-huh. The things that wound up on the cutting room floor from the last two times Lisa has been on, they would be aghast at where you went with it, Kirk. Oh, whatever. Yep. That is not true. Although I did notice in those episodes you cut out a couple of things. Was it dirty? I did. Yep. Mm. I don't recall. (laughs) One of them certainly was not appropriate. I don't remember any of it. I, I mean, like anything inappropriate. Hmm. I know. It's because it's just so normal to you. You're callous to it. <laughs> we can move on. Don't try to turn this back on me. Yeah, we let should. Sh- we should. Let me shackle you and whatever. Anyways, let's move on from junk. Do- You're gonna shackle me? Mm. All right. See, see how this is going. I can tell. Welcome aboard, Jess. Thank you. You're well. You're probably wondering what Jess is doing here, um, because this is your first time on the podcast, Jess. It is. Jess had one rule for today. What was your What was your rule for today? Well, I don't want it to be an interview. That was it. She wants. She doesn't want anybody to get to know her today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get uncomfortable. No. no, definitely not. So. So when did that feeling start with you? Like in life? When's the first time you felt that? Take me back to when you first felt uncomfortable talking She's about yourself. Are you? <laughs> now you're interviewing me. I see. I've never liked public speaking. So, I don't know. It feels like a form of public speaking if I'm being interviewed about myself. If we're just having a conversation, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Just picture you're talking to (laughs) two to 6,000 people right now in a big room in front of everybody because that's what's happening. Yeah. No big deal. Except it's not. And they're all wearing some sort of compression shorts. Yeah. (laughs) All their junk is showing. That's Listen, don't be gross. It's not that kind of podcast. So two things. One, we have a snow day here in Minneapolis. So this is the first time that Jess has been home when I record since COVID times when you mm-hmm. weren't. So I would say in like two years is the first time she's home. And I was like, we need to take advantage of this because Jess can never be on the podcast. And Lisa's hogging the significant other spotlight <laughs> yeah. like a t- an attention yeah. seeker. And it's unacceptable. Well, she should have been on today too. We need to balance this out. Yeah, no, I'm never home when... When you guys record, so 
I had to kick her out the door. She just won't stay away from the microphone. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> had to lock the door. <laughs> are you guys having a snow day down there? Are you are you in session down there? Is is or is everything shut down? Yeah, we're in session. We didn't get the snow you guys mm-hmm. got. From the picture you sent this morning, you have a large amount mm-hmm. of snow. We got freezing rain and sleet. So I think we would have, but we've had two snow days this year that turned out to be mm-hmm. nothing. They're talking getting 10 to 16 inches of snow, and we wound up with two. And they had already preemptively canceled snow, and I think they got a little gun shy off that. Well, my gym is even closed today, so I can't yeah. even go train out of it. They're not open. And Jess, your boss was so nice. He said, mm. stay home. Are you yeah. working today? Are you playing hooky? Are you on the clock right now? I am working from home, yeah. <laughs> She's working really hard right working now. Working hard. But now this is the first time mm-hmm. I remember like businesses closing and everything because of snow. So we're taking advantage yeah. of How this. many inches do you think you guys got? I don't know. What do you think? I haven't really been out there. I've only looked through mm-hmm. my window. But the drifts are like four feet. But then there's bare spots right next to it because we had 40 to 50 mile an hour winds overnight. So it like really pushed it into certain areas. Um, mm. Not sure. But because we're both home and then we're leaving to go to Vietnam next week. Mm-hmm. Um. I figure we just have ourselves just a little little kumbaya today. A little play date. Play date. Yeah. A, a play, play date. date. So what would you like to play first? <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was a Q&A episode. <laughs> Let's play Q&A. Okay. How about that? Yeah. That's a grand idea. <laughs> Ask us any questions you want as long as they're listener submitted. Listener submitted questions coming your way. So... We, uh, I feel like we've done a number of these things recently, but Bracken's going to take the reins while I'm gone, and then Bracken goes on a vacation. Where are you going again? Sweden. Sweden. And what are you going to Sweden for? I don't know if that's... That's not right, but whatever. An accurate accent at all. No. My sister's playing basketball there, and uh, we didn't get there. She was in Germany. She was originally in Sweden two years ago, and we didn't make it over there. And my parents did. We didn't get over there. And she left and played in Germany this year. And we were kind of bummed we missed the Northern Lights and Sweden. And then mid-season, her club started having some uh, some political and bankruptcy issues going on in Germany. And her agent got her transferred to a team in Sweden mm. again. Dang. So she's back over there, and we're not going to let this chance slip by. So we're going to head over for two weeks. Nice. That's awesome. Just go Strava segment hunting. Yes, you are. <laughs> So we, we have a deal struck, and the deal is I'm going on vacation, Bracken's going to man the ship, and when Bracken goes on vacation, I'm going to man the ship. Guest host, maybe, or not, we're going to keep the ship running, but you're just going to miss one of us for two weeks at a time, but not today. And not next week, either. Next week, we'll be together as well, but um, that'll be fun. Yeah, and and you, were, you made a good point, which is the last few times we've been on vacation, it hasn't been really truly vacation because we keep trying to take time like you keep taking time out of your vacations to get you'll rent a hotel room for the the two-hour time slot do the recording and then go back to vacation and when we were in ireland i was you know sequestering myself upstairs in this little room and trying to soundproof it and asking everyone with us to be quiet for two hours while we do a pod and that's not the purpose of getting away for vacation so we're going to try it differently this time we're going to try to go through these two vacations on actual checkout and have a vacation you deserve it, Bracken. I remember the two interviews. I would, I would actually go get a hotel room for the night, in quotes, pay the hundred twenty bucks to go record the two hour episode, so I had Wi Fi, 
and then leave. And it was Amelia Boone I've done that way and David Magida I've done that way. I remember because it just feels like you're in a different space mm. when, you're, when you're doing that. Was that hunting trips? Those were hunting yeah. trips, yeah. We did Matt Fitzgerald. Ah, uh, yeah. While I was gone. We did. I don't remember the others. I don't remember who it was. Well, we're in our safe space today. So should we jump into this thing? Do you want to... Yeah. Do you want to play a Q&A host here Let's for play us? It. Jessica? Yeah. You guys ready? I do want to say this is the worst delay we've had, Kirk. Uh-huh. There are times I start talking and then you guys start talking like three seconds afterwards. Oh. So I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to wait on everything to make sure because it's way easier for me to splice them together than separate them apart. So if you see me not talking, I might just be giving you a buffer to make sure that I'm not talking over Yeah, anymore. Jess, when we started recording video, for some reason now when Bra- Bracken and I used to see each other in real time when we spoke, and now hmm. with this video, you've been seeing, if you follow our running public Instagram account, we're putting out videos and snippets from our interviews and conversations. But when we started that, like we have three-second lag time, and today's just extra worse. So he's not ignoring you. It's not you. It's him. Okay. Just remember that. Got it. It's always him. Always. Always. It's always Bracken's fault. Eh. Uh-huh. That's safe. You didn't wait. I don't have a trustworthy face. People believe that. He, she just called you out and said you didn't wait. By the yeah. Way. <laughs> it's a little rushed. <laughs> okay. ah, Are you guys feel, ready or what? Ready? All right. Yeah, All right. Let's rock. Uh, do you guys say the names? I do. I say the names All back right. and doesn't. I'm very pro saying the names. So. Okay. From Corey Mix. Been listening to your podcast on Spotify for about a year now. I'm a tuck. I'm a truck driver listening to you on the road. Started running age group this year. My question is, uh, when I do my long runs, I tend to curl my toes down like I'm trying to grab something with my toes. Why is that? Sounds like a personal problem. I'm just kidding. (gasps) Jess. (laughs) I'm kidding. Oh, Jess is coming out (laughs) firing today. That's not helpful, Jess. That's how we do here. All right. On long runs, you so here's what I'm curious about, Kirk, because I'm someone who has gnarled toes. I don't know if you've ever seen me barefoot or inspected my toes. No. Each one of my toes is curled into the one in front of it, and it like has a little slot there. Mm. Like my toes don't expand; they just sit and they make a like fist a the witch's whole time. toes. Hmm. You got witch toes. <laughs> well, they're not like I don't have giant nails or or large talons. You don't have giant anything, but. So in long runs, sometimes I'll get a feeling like they're rubbing against the bottom by the end because they're curled downwards. But I'm not like scrunching or scritching like a cat or anything like that. That's just where it is. So I'm curious if he's feeling that, the rubbing and the wear of that, or if he actually is aware of his toes gripping and pulling into his shoe bottoms while he's running. Hmm. Yeah, I I guess... It's interesting that he specifies long runs. Like, he doesn't curl his toes on short days, or he doesn't curl his toes on, like, it's like the long run, maybe, like, towards the back half, which we would need some clarity on. I have done that before, and I've done it when my shoe toe box is either too tight or too small, and I feel the need to protect my toes. Yeah. Like, I'd be very curious if he got a size or a half size bigger, or if he went to a wide forefoot, like an ultra or something, if all of a sudden that would be negated. Um, I'm not really sure on that, but I've done that before for sure in shoes that were too tight in the toe box. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that could manifest in a long run, whereas you slowly shift towards the front of your shoe a little mm-hmm. bit as the laces loosen or as you push against them, that that's when it could happen. But 
Usually it's the opposite. If I'm doing something extra with my feet to try to get more out of the ground or anything like that, that gets worse as the run goes on. And I'm reduced to just kind of like picking my feet up and sliding them forward rather than doing any sort of extra engagement anywhere. So yeah, maybe it's a shoe size thing. I'm interested if anyone else out there has that. When I started running, Kirk brought me to the run. What's the running shoe store? Uh, TC Running Company. And they had me get a half size bigger than like my normal day shoes. So all my running shoes are half size bigger than my normal shoes. I wonder if that would make a difference. Do you ever think about your feet mm. when you're running? Nope. Um, that might. I mean, that's like we're totally guessing uh, here. I, I don't know if it like. Is he fatigued? Like, what kind of surface is he on? Does he run his other runs in different shoes, but his long runs in this certain pair of shoes? I think the first place to start is your shoe choice. And then from there, you know, I don't know. Tape the front of your toes to your shin. You know, run that up there and just pull them back and keep them there. What do you think about that? Can't curl them that way. It's true. (laughs) I started running in 2003. Three, I think, joined the track team for the first time. And in those 20 years since, I've never once heard anyone mention this. So I'm I'm very, very unaware of what this could be. Let's dive into the shoes first, Corey, and then see if that fixes anything. That's what I would say. All right. Just always shoes for Kurt. Hey, speaking of shoes. Right to shoes. Yeah, it's always shoes. Speaking of shoes, did you either get a new set of track spikes or did you just like switch out the wall because you got some Nike track spikes over your shoulder. I do. These are actually Waffle XCs. These are cross-country racers. I have been using some of the shoes off my wall and I had some blank spaces. So I just plugged some shoes up here. I have a box down here to my right underneath my desk and it is my Frankenstein shoe box. So when I'm carving up a bottom or doing something, that's where I pull from and that's where these Mm. were. They look brand new. If you take a look here, these bottoms are missing half their tread. Wow. He went Frankenstein on some shoes yeah. is what happened. <laughs> so these are actually the shoes. I cut some of these mini waffles out and inserted them into Rob Pettyjohn's Saucony Endorphin Pros for the sled push in High Rock. So this is the actual shoe that gave up its life for Rob's age group championship. That's like uh, the new age version of Tribal Sacrifice. One of you must be sacrificed. Yeah. Today it is you. For the good of the tribe. Waffle XC, for the good of the tribe. Next question. Okay. But this is the shoe that Hobie Call won his first world championship in. Just a, he wore the all black mm. version with lime green and a little bit of purple. Mm. And that was the shoe I raced my first year and a half of OCR in as well. It's disrespectful to do of a shoe that's been so good to you, to be honest, to tear it apart. Not that shoe, but the same model. I would never do that to any of my shoes. If any of my shoes are listening, I would never do that to you. I bought the shoe specifically for a project. Got it for $19 off Poshmark. Hey, mm. nice. Deals. That's right. Ready for the next question? I was born ready. All right. Q&A question prompted by the recent Atypical uh, Training Styles episode. What are the pros and cons of a stair mill stairmaster as an option for cross training, especially compared to something like a rower, spin bike, elliptical, or hiking on an incline trainer? I have an upcoming race with 20 miles of mountain single track and 3,500 feet of gain. 
Having run, having run this before, I know some hiking is going to be required on some of the climbs. The stair mill seems to activate, but rear chain and can get my heart rate up. But I don't often hear about this being used as a tool for runners and was wondering why. I'm 40, will be 41 by race day, maybe 42 by the time you get to this question. Ooh, dig. <laughs> and don't currently do much cross training. But no, it probably needs to be in the mix sooner rather than later. Thanks in advance. You can read the follow-up, yeah. As a quick follow-up, I'm an elementary school principal and frequently find myself applying things from your podcast to my professional world. The overlap between endurance training and education is interesting, which I hear Bracken mention every so often with his teaching background. Nice. Yeah. Hmm. I used to have to do it principles say and now maybe this principle is going to have to do what we say i like that (laughs) james i got called to the principal's office twice in my school years and it was terrifying although they were nice to me for what the main one which scarred me for life was i was in fourth grade and you could buy bags of popcorn at lunch for like a quarter they had a popcorn machine, and you could go buy it. We had assigned seating alphabetical at our lunch table, so you couldn't sit with your friends. You just got stuck with whoever was next to the DE. Mm. And so I went and got popcorn as a treat. I think on Fridays we did it. And after I ate it, it was in a brown bag. And I was like, watch this, people next to me who aren't my friends, really. And I blew the brown bag up, and it was big, and I just took it, and I smashed the brown bag, and I popped it, and it was in a school gymnasium. And it sounded so loud like a gunshot, Mm. if I'm being honest. And it went pop, and the whole thing went silent. The whole gym went silent where we ate our lunch. And the principal was standing there with his arms crossed, and he said, whoever did that, get to my office right now. And I stood up bawling, and I said, I didn't do it. And then I ran out of the gym crying. Badass. It was horrible. I think I was like seven or eight, and it was, t- and then they could see how traumatized I was, oh, and then the principal, Mr. Herzog, I think his name was, he was very nice to me because he could tell I was pretty much, pretty much done for. So that was my, that's the one that stands out. Mm. It's terrible. In hindsight, I understand why now. I didn't realize how, I didn't realize how like threatening that would be. And now in hindsight, I totally get it. But as like a seven to ten year old, it's like yeah, yeah that's didn't cross my mind. I thought it was cool. Jess, you ever been in the principal's office? No, never. Never got called to the principal's office. Good yeah, for you. you? Uh, I think only twice, and only one of them was naughty. I was a pretty good kid. Once because I kept taking my jacket off at recess, <laughs> and they had a strict you have to wear your jacket. And you were overheating. And I just was too hot. Huh. I, I went hard at recess, yeah. and I was too hot. Kind of a dumb rule. And so I had to go up, and I wanted, and I had to talk to her about why I kept every day taking my jacket off at recess. You sound like a terrible child. That that was the second worst thing I ever did. The worst thing, though, was actually naughty. Uh, I, I peed on the wall in the bathroom. Oh, jeez. I think we might have told this story on here. We used to have a contest to see who could pee the highest up on the wall. You mentioned. And I have a really good-sized bladder. It can put out some good pressure, and uh, and and I and I was very successful at it. But with anything in life, any if you're good at it, you rise to the attention of the people around you. So there'd be like a crowd of children in there watching you pee high on the wall. I wasn't a teacher at the time, 
I was a child as well. I, was <laughs> about that. I hope not. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, there's so many things we're going to have to take out of this podcast. Well, because the answer was yes, there was a crowd of children around me. But I want to be clear that I was the same age as those children. Oh, bless me. your heart. It was it was first grade. It was first grade. And it, and it truly never crossed my mind that I was doing something wrong. It was a competition mm-hmm. and I was playing it to the best of my abilities. And it wasn't until I was in trouble and then I was having to explain to my parents and the principal what I was doing that I realized... Oh, I was peeing on the wall. To me, it never even crossed my mind. It was Wait, just was a this game. In the bathroom or outside? Because they're little different punishments, I feel like. In the bathroom. You'd stand at the urinal and see who could pee the closest. Or there's block. We had block walls. Who could get the most blocks above the top of the urinal? Yeah, that deserved going to the principal's office. We had to have been getting covered in spray back. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know what to say to that. So I had to spend two weeks indoor recess cleaning mm. the bathroom. That was my punishment. It's a good punishment. I had to apologize to the janitor. Rightfully so. Custodian. Custodian. Yeah. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we didn't delay answering your question by two years, but we did delay another five minutes with our tangent. So let's get to it. Stair mill, stair master. What are your takes? Uh, stair mill is 100% superior to a stair master. Difference being that one just you step up and down and the other is the stairs fold out of you like a continuous escalator. That is a fantastic tool. I bought one for the sole purpose of rehabbing in a non-impact fashion without having to stress my knees and my calves after surgery. And it was great. I think that in the uh, the hierarchy of what's best for training for mountain races, it is mountains and then it is an incline trainer, and then stairs are right behind. Stairs are maybe better for your glutes and your quads, but they don't give you the angle of the actual mountain of what you're going to hit and stress your feet and your calves and your your Achilles at. But other than that, for pure driving power uphill, stair mill is about as good as it gets. Yeah, are you? Okay, well, I agree with you. I was wondering if you're going to continue there. No. <clears throat> fantastic tool you will actually probably get more quad engagement on the stair mill because your calves are not yeah. forced to be like the smaller muscle group in the chain they're left much more alone as far as engagement goes um you absolutely cannot exclusively train on the stair mill if you have mountain races because your calves and achilles are going to be absolutely wrecked when you get on flexed actual terrain i think using it as a tool to chase vert and stay healthy in your aging body is perfectly smart like pick a day every week and go chase vert on that stair mill instead of but it definitely needs to be combined with steep flexion type work and i'm a firm believer because i tried to train on a 15 percent incline treadmill for a year before i got my incline trainer which went up to 40 percent 15 percent doesn't cut it when it comes to mountain races it does not require the ball of your foot flexion type stuff um that 30% 30% or so does, but the stair mill does give you that steep angle, which gives you the quad engagement and some glute engagement as well. So I would say if you do not have access to an incline trainer, uh, then I would do a combo of the stair mill plus regular treadmill at like 15% or of course real terrain. But no, you, I don't, I think you don't hear about it very often, James, because we're so obsessed with our incline trainers that we just like, it's like we forget about it, but it's a very valid tool to be using. And that's more on us just not addressing it as often as we could, I would say. 
You used to use the stair mill all the time, Jess, didn't you? That was your I way. I like the stair mill. Tell, tell, tell us more uh, about your stair experience. Stair master. Tell I, us. Didn't, I didn't know there was a difference, to be honest. Well, no, the rotating stairs, not like mm-hmm. the one. That's what you've used, right? Yeah. So what, what's been your experience with the, the stair master? Stair mill is what we're referring to. Um, I just used it as a source of cardio, really. I don't know. I liked it. Did you think it built any fitness, or were you just using it like? Um, I did. I don't. I didn't use it like when I was training for mm-hmm. races or anything. But I mean, I'm not training for anything. I'm just working out to stay in shape. But I like it for that. I didn't use it for um, any purpose really, other than that. When I was injured and could not run, I could stair mill, and it got my heart rate higher than pretty much anything else. Mm-hmm. So from that standpoint, metabolically, it's great. Yeah. I sweat a lot on a, st- on a stair mill versus, um, yeah, yeah, a treadmill. Yeah, and the nice thing about it not having the angle component to it is I think it allows you to work harder and longer mm-hmm. because it's not soft tissue or stress of the angle that's going to limit your your workout. And so you can and you can adjust it so incrementally with how it rotates that you can get precisely into the the speed that you want to power hike or run at. Whereas with the incline trainer, there are some where you probably could hike at this, but it's not comfortable, or you could run at it, but it's not comfortable. You can find exactly what you want. I found personally that the stair mill gave me more customization for running versus hiking rather than on the treadmill. It just kind of takes over at some point. You got to do one or the other. So I did like it and it was more stable. You can also do more, not that that this was a question, but I found heavy carries were easier to do on a stair mill because the stress points on the machine are so solid. You didn't have to worry about that. Getting on and off was pretty easy. But yeah, the the issue is you are going to have to stride out at some point and run an angle in order to tie it all together. And, and the caveat to all this is that if I heard correctly, 20-mile race with 3,500 feet, was that correct? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's not – I mean, that's a lot of climbing. 3,500 feet is a lot of vert, but it's not the type of race where you're going to be doing – long extended steep climbs it's either going to be gradual or you're going to have a couple short spicy ones so it's a great tool but i wouldn't uh over rely on it because you're going to be doing a lot of running in that race yeah good point i would say once a week if you're using that fantastic tool just make sure once a week you're getting that lower leg flexion by actually running on a true angle whether it's outside or on the treadmill next one all right uh keaton billings says I've run out of ideas, so I figured I'd ask you guys. For the last 12 weeks, I've had a pain in my right side just below my ribs. It's not debilitating pain with daily life activities, but the second I try to run, it completely cramps up with a knife-like pain and makes it impossible to breathe. Similar to a side stitch, but it's definitely not. I I know what those feel like and how to work through them. I'm able to bike, row, and do any ab exercise at any intensity with no real pain, but the second I try to run, it locks up. CT scan, x-ray, ultrasound, and blood work, all normal. I'm out of ideas, so I just thought I'd run it by you guys in case you've seen anything like it because I miss running and racing. Well, good thing we are smarter than um, all doctors, (laughs) and we got this thing. (laughs) You've come to the right place. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think, doctors? Yeah, Dr. Brackenstein. Well, <laughs> as he as you continued to speak, Jess, and read it on, every one of the things that first popped in my mind was crossed off the list. Mm-hmm. Like if rowing didn't throw it off or core didn't throw it off, like it, it's not 
and it, all these tests didn't do it, then it's not a strain on the muscle, probably. It's not a, a rib out of place. It's not a slight tear of the cartilage in between. It's not any of those things. So it all that it says to me, and he's been gasping if he's rowing and doing other things like that, it's not expansion of the diaphragm. The only thing that's left to me, to my non-medical mind, is it's impact-based. And if it's impact that's traveling up and causing something that's not visible on a scan, then all I can think of is it's nerve related. Hmm. And so it sounds like if you've gone all the traditional medical routes, the last person to talk to then, if you haven't, is some sort of chiropractor who really knows their stuff. Yeah. So a phenomenon, where do you go? Phenomenon that happens in our midsection, our gut, anywhere in our trunk is that our nerve endings are not very specific. Like you could lay out your hand and somebody could poke a pin on your hand and I could tell you exactly where that pin is being poked, right? In your gut or in your abdomen, you may feel a pain somewhere, but it could be being referred from six inches away. It's actually really hard to pinpoint exactly what's wrong based on where your pain is coming from in your gut because our nervous system doesn't work that way in there. So although you're acutely feeling that in your right side under your ribs, I'm not convinced that it's necessarily stemming from there. It could be, of course, but it's not necessarily. And then also 100% impact base. I think some organ or some something is bumping into something and cramping or some situation. I just don't know. I don't know what it would be. I don't even want to start to guess. But I agree with you that impact, jostling, something in there. I mean, you've had, I mean, if you have a CT scan, ultrasound, x ray, the only thing that would show that, which you didn't get, I mean, an MRI is going to give you a detailed, detailed breakdown. A CT scan is going to give you more like big picture sort of, more detail than an x-ray. But I would say an MRI of like the acute area might could show a micro tear somewhere or a slight fracture in the cartilage that's only impacted by up and down impact movement. I don't know if a CT scan would show the detail an MRI does. I think they're ruling out major things by giving you a CT scan. But the ultrasound should show some sort of detail there. So I don't, I'm just talking in circles at this point. I don't know. Hmm. Jess, what's your medical di- diagnosis? <laughs> well, I think, well, I work for a sports specific doctor. So I feel like if he's only been to like an MD, I think it'd be helpful to go to a chiropractor or a sports specific doctor um, to get it checked out just because they might check some other things out that like a normal primary care doctor might not. But. That's aligned. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Yeah. Next. All I can say is that I had a a side cramping issue when I was out in Colorado for like two and a half or three weeks. Every time I ran downhill, I basically got a side stitch, but it wasn't a side stitch. It was in my actual like oblique area, it felt like. And it's demoralizing and it impacts everything you do. And you can be feeling fine doing everything else. And the moment I did the one thing that triggered it, it went off. And that one thing was mandatory for my training. I could not run in the mountains without running downhill. And it sucked. And so for three weeks, I had a miserable run every time I ran. Even if I was having a great, like I'd go to the incline. And I would go and get like a great 30 minutes of climbing and feel great the whole time. It was tainted by the fact that I knew the moment I turned around, this is going to suck again. And so, yeah, it sucks. It's frustrating. And I feel for you. I hope you get it figured out. How'd you get rid of it? I think mine was a muscle just weakness. 
And I was starting to do more core work at the same time I was doing a lot of hard descending. And there could have been a strain in there as well. But I think my my supporting just core stabilization in there couldn't handle both things at once. I had to get used to downhill and get used to core and trying them both at the same time. It's it's not a, a medical diagnosis, but I think I was just too weak in there and it just manifested in the same way every time. Sometimes it feels like when your body learns a pathway, it just clicks to that until you disrupt it. And so I was just like, oh yeah, we, we cramp up right here every time you do this thing. Now that I've done it once, I'm going to do it every time until you fix it. Yeah, not to make fun or light of your situation, Keaton, that has to be very frustrating and probably a little bit scary. But um, I think echoing Justin Bracken's advice, like find a woo-woo voodoo doctor, like start going a little bit more Eastern medicine and see if one of those practitioners um, can can help you. You'd be surprised um, what like a fresh set of eyes that doesn't necessarily follow the script can do. I'm not saying it's going to be a fix, but I think that's where I'd be at. And, and my ass has been saved countless times by chiropractors. Um, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, and there's other forms of physical medicine practice that um, you might get help from. So that's where I'd go. Desperate people leave Western medicine and go to Eastern medicine generally. And you might be that desperate person right now. That's what I'd think. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Justin McCollum says, hi guys. Love the podcast. Thanks for all you put into it. Question. How do we, how do I become a fan of running like I would another sport? How do you keep track of what the upcoming races are and how do you follow them? How do you get to know the athletes and keep tabs on them? I'd like to be able to be more of a running fan, but don't know how to get started. Thanks. Yeah, I'm really talking into the microphones to try to, try to do Sorry. that. Sorry. Oh. It's hard. Podcasting serious business. Well, we just kind of talked about this. On, was that on Race Brain, Kirk? Yeah, I brought it up because I had seen this question. I was just scrolling through Q&As, and then we, <clears throat> we kind of spitballed it a little bit on the episode. I'm going to give bullet points then. And then if you want to expand, I'm going to give that the recap of what we said in a bullet point format. So I think you go through it via um, running, uh, let'srun.com. It's a good spot to get. It's kind of like a hub of distance knowledge. Uh, The message boards can be very, very nonsense so take all of that with a grain of salt but they generally have a have a a home page that refreshes with all of the recent major running news in the world so almost probably three four times a week i just log in there get a sense of what i missed over the weekend and what's coming up for the weekend and then that points you in the direction of where to watch things or where to where to look for things you combine that with youtube uh kirk i know you have a few um, suggestions of who to follow but on YouTube, you can find almost any race that's been run, some version of that. And then those take you down a rabbit hole of other races to watch. And just like any other sport, you start to notice the same faces and names throughout there. And then you start just even searching individual people's names or races that the commentators reference. So start with a good website that has running information, then get down YouTube rabbit holes. And then finally, you can find Facebook groups for this exact thing people who are just fans of whatever it is and then they will just constantly or discord channels about this yeah i am i uh take all my content exclusively from youtube typically what i do is i follow two accounts closely and that's flow track and then i also follow total running productions which i'm getting a little sick of but sometimes they'll dive into stories which are interesting and then from there you're right down the rabbit hole 
um, it'll just lead you to another race. Like you could just let the thing play and it'll auto pull up something else. But as long as you start somewhere, you're going to fall into that spider webbing of races. And usually YouTube will auto generate the most recent stuff first. So you'll actually get, you'll actually get fed recent happenings, which I just did today on the assault bike. I, I watched like Yard Nagoose run 333 in the 1500 which happened a couple days ago and i and it's new and then it shoved me another new wanamaker mile race which just happened um where a high schooler at 16 ran 355 which just makes me feel like junk about myself but nonetheless um it just works that way and pretty soon after you do that a few times you'll just start to get the feel of it and you will start to know the athletes care about the athletes and get invested and that's when it gets fun so i would just simply start on youtube um and then just start consuming. So I just pulled up letsrun.com. I've been in, you know, keeping tabs on this since I was in college and it gets a lot of bad rep and it should, but it also has a lot of positive it does for the sport. So here's what the homepage is right now. First thing on top is our weekly recap. So anything you missed from the world of running, the highlights are going to be here and it's going to be sub four mania An NCAA coach doesn't watch his team break a world record. Grant Fisher does. Is he the same as Charles Barkley? So you get a little overview of that. Then you can read the article on that. Then you go down from there and it's the week, the week's podcast. It talks about world records and who Fred Curley just signed with and the indoor controversy at USATF indoor championships. So now you're starting to see some of the news of things that happened in the running world. Scroll down a little more, and it's results results and post-race interviews from the Madrid indoor uh, track race. And it says who, the 1,500 meters and different things like that. Go down. There's a recap of Melbourne, which is... That's where the 16-year-old broke, ran 355 in Australian. 16. Continue. Unbelievable. That's disgusting. It's gross. <laughs> And then it talks about world cross country, the results from there, the under 20 race, men and women and the pros. And then you get to the message boards and you can see what people are talking about. But just by scrolling through there, you get a a sampling of the highlights of what happened. And then by looking at saying uh, Yard Nagoose won the 1500 meter in 333, you go and watch that race. And then that'll probably bring up Yard's indoor mile where he just broke the U.S. indoor record. And you watch that. And then you notice there were some of the same people in that race. And they mentioned that this person ran well at Boston University. And you pull up that. And then it just spider webs. And pretty soon you have a pretty good pulse on what who to look for and what's happening. And all of these videos or articles finish up with next up is blank. And then it gives you something to look forward to the next weekend. And then maybe you start watching it live. And that's always more exciting. And just like any other sport, it progresses your knowledge base. Jess, what do you watch while you're doing cardio? <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> I don't know. I pick a show, but tell, I don't watch running. Last, tell me the last three shows you've been watching while doing cardio. The world wants to know. Um, I just finished Laguna Beach and the Hills. <laughs> <laughs> back from so, 2000. Somehow she I got never watched trap. it. So I went back old school and watched Laguna Beach and then the Hills. Maybe we cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not embarrassing. That's no more embarrassing than watching the high school national cross country championships yeah. on repeat as an adult. I highly recommend it. I remember everybody. I was in high school then and everybody watched Laguna Beach and the Hills on MTV. Um, it's very days. entertaining to go back and watch, I will say. That wouldn't motivate me. Okay. But distract me, yes. Next question. That was a good question, uh, Justin, by the way. I think a lot of people wonder that, so I'm glad you asked on behalf of the people. Yeah, good advice. 
was a good question. Um, all right. The microphone, huh? Dave, Dave Shaw says, hello. Question for your next Q&A. My zone two range is 126 to 144 beats per minute. That feels like a large range. Should I aim for zone two runs closer to 126 or closer to 144? It is a large range, but it's not that large of a range. So it's one of those things where if you're prioritizing aerobic development, you stay towards the upper range. If you're prioritizing recovery, you don't care what you hit. So you can be towards the bottom of the range. You run what feels good. So the day before workouts or in between workouts, let it drift up there towards the top. And after workouts, that's when you want to stay towards the lower end. But you're starting to split hairs. Like zone two, zone two, you're probably going to be fine. But if you really want to focus on improving cardiovascularly, I'd say high range of two is much better than lower range of two. Yeah, and when Bracken says like, when it comes to after a workout, he doesn't even, he's not talking about your cool down after the workout. He's talking about your run the next day. You know, like the recovery run following, you know, you created damage and worked yeah. hard the day prior. So go ahead and just make sure you err on the side of caution. So you could run on the lower side then, but then any day that isn't immediately following a hard workout, um, you could probably drift a good bit up into that. One of my athletes, Natasha Manzel, asked this question saying, am I running too slow and too easy on my recovery days to the point where like, I'm actually missing out on benefit because I'm like, I could be 15 beats a minute higher and technically still in my zone too. And the answer to that is I have no idea, but the purpose of a recovery run is to recover. So whatever that requires, requires the thing that's going to move the fitness needle is going to be time on feet, resistance to impact, which you'll be getting no matter how fast or slow you're running on that recovery run and then adapting to your, your big stimulus. So, um, I just wouldn't worry about it to be honest a whole lot, but I would just say, if you want to have guiding principles, as Bracken said, closer to the bottom half. Uh, following a hard workout and then anything else go with how your body feels as long as you're staying within yourself on those recovery days in quotes yeah and that's assuming you're doing quality days and you need recovery days mm -hmm. if you're not doing bigger efforts throughout the week run at the high end or even go in zone three whenever you want it's fine but the more you're swinging the hammer on the hard days the more you don't need to really worry as much on the other days yeah good point um, anything to add to that, Jess? What do you think? Yeah, keep doing it. <laughs> keep doing it? Keep doing what? <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> keep on keeping on. All right, next question Profound. is from Ken Anderson. Hey, guys, been listening to the podcast for a few months now and am still catching up, but had a question on one of your Q&A episodes. Would you ever suggest to an athlete to do a super week in their training block? I know you guys are fans of occasionally crushing a really hard workout, but what about increasing effort for an entire week? For instance, I'm strictly a runner at the moment, training to qualify for Boston, but a super week for me would be increasing volume and or intensity for an entire week. If I'm averaging around 40 to 50 miles per week, I could bump up to 60 to 70, even 80 miles for a week, and then come back down a bit. Is this essentially super compensation? Big word. Mm. Obviously, there are injury concerns associated with a sudden increase in mileage, but excluding that for a moment, would this be a good idea? Thanks. I'll go buy a shirt now and leave a review. Ken Anderson. 
Ken, I'm going to go look and see if you left a review. <laughs> <laughs> While you do that, I'll jump in. So the idea of super compensation in training is always very intriguing. Basically, the concept is that if you work extra hard and do extra work and really stress your body extra, it goes into super compensation where the repair that's done and the rebuilding is done in a super capacity as well. You go big for a while, it thinks this is the new normal, I'm building out the support system to handle this, and then you go back down and you've got this extra, basically, gains, as the uh, the bro community would call it, and that is always really tempting to do. If you do it correctly, it is effective. It's the kind of thing that, if you do it too often, raises potential for injury. However, if you're not injured, it's really hard to get a stress fracture in just a few days. If you're not close to injury, one big week shouldn't tip you over. But if you already are closer to it, that one big week will probably tip you over. So like, I, I, what was I doing, Kirk? 30 miles a week and I ran a 100 mile a week. Mm-hmm. I was fine because I wasn't close to any sort of bone issue. One week is tough to get from no bone issue to bone issue without some sort of drastic issue. However, let's take you from a year ago, a year and a half ago, going from 40 miles a week to 100 would probably be a recipe for disaster for you. Still would. So supercompensation really not, is not for everyone, but it is effective if you're a candidate for it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, it's a worthwhile experiment, and I think I would call it that if you've never done it before. Uh, an experiment if you are not prone to overuse injuries. Um, and then just be sure that you follow that up with a week that is probably lower than you've been doing previously um, to really ensure that you don't layer on um, fatigue or, excuse me, damage. Um, so you're going to have to be okay with then like going lower than your typical week following just when you're experimenting at first. And, you know, there's a couple of ways to skin that cat. Um, that's a weird saying, by the way. I was going to say. Well, no, people use it. There's many ways to skin a cat. Like nobody uh-huh. should be skinning cats. There's not one scenario in which a cat should be scunned. No, but even if they did, you're a hunter. There's a generally accepted best way to skin any not animal. A cat. Like the process is the process. Yeah. Right. Well, let's not dwell on that. But yeah, don't no no skinning cats really necessary. But there are many ways to skin this cat, and um, that would be you could just run more volume and stick to your quality days as you are. You could run bigger volume quality days. There's an approach out there where you'll see people go. I'm only going to do one quality day this week, two quality days next week, and then I'm the third week I'm doing three quality days in my week. And then I repeat that cycle. They're super saturating their third week in the program just by simple uh, exposure to intensity. So you could almost run relatively the same mileage mm-hmm. but do a super compensation that way. One workout one week, two the next, three the next. Um, that would be a version of it as well. Now, I would actually argue that you're at more risk of injury by doing three quality workouts a week than let's say by bumping up your mileage by another 33% because that intensity really sits in the body. But there's a lot of ways to do it. So super compensation doesn't necessarily always need to be volume. Mm -hmm. It could be intensity as well. But um, if you're going to try it for the first time, I'd probably do the volume first. And then if you want to filter in other ways to do it, then maybe adding the quality uh, exposure more often would be another way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something Hunter was doing and playing with, and he got that from Nordic sports, sports that have to combine intensity with endurance and some strength training involved, which a lot of running doesn't have to worry about, and they do some of those weeks. 
one quality with big volume, two quality with medium volume, three quality with lower volume, and then mm-hmm. reset. And then on the other hand, you had uh, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Marius Bakken. He's the one who everyone has based their current double threshold approach off of a lot of his work that he pioneered. He was a, I want to say like a 13, 15, 5k runner back in the day. And he was uh kind of coached by Peter Coe for a while. And Peter Coe is the father and coach to Sebastian Coe, who is one of the most famous mid distance runners of all time. And Peter Coe was writing training for uh, Marius Bakken and he had all the time in his training you can see it in his letters that he has posted online that they would do these aerobic like top-off weeks every three to five weeks or something like that they would do a week where they did bigger aerobic volume and like four or five maybe I'm wrong about this but multiple tempo runs they wouldn't do as much intensity but they would go and hit uh, like 20 to 40 minutes of, of threshold runs continuous multiple times in a week and a week of big volume just to kind of reestablish some aerobic development because that can be eroded away by doing lots of quality work so even going back 30 years people have been playing around with how do we play around with super compensation and super compensation can be done just like that where it's aerobic based or it can be done strength based or speed based it's not just limited to one type of stress so it's, it's, it's the kind of thing people play with when they're looking for that next level of uh, training where I've stagnated. How can we get more out of what we do? Yeah. Worthwhile experiment, I think. Um, what do you think about super compensation, Jess? <laughs> Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, Jess, the floor is yours. We're not saying a word for the next three minutes, and I you can really, really elaborate here. I really have no good advice on this. I rarely run, so... Listen to the listen to these guys. Do what they say. Well, you still have another like three <laughs> minutes to talk, so go ahead. Okay. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. Yeah. Fill the space. <laughs> <laughs> I tried, guys. I thought I thought maybe. Let's move on. All right. Ready? Okay. I'll be ready in three minutes. Yeah. All right. This is from Sarah. Hi, Kirk. Hope this is a good way to ask Training Tuesday questions. First of all, Sarah, you're very smart for messaging me personally. True. You know who to go to in these circumstances. I'm hurt. (laughs) I just started your monthly OCR run plan in December and have been noting some great progress already. My question is, I have been running to work and wonder if this can be a useful part of my training or will it most likely detract from the plan? It is about five kilometers each way, so I usually do either a recovery or an aerobic pace run. I'm accumulating okay distance, but it is broken up rather than a long stretch, which I hear from you both is a real goal. I actually really love running to work. I find it more enjoyable and de-stressing than any other way to commute, so it would be sad to stop. I'm not doing enough run volume to be able to do this on a day when I was also doing a quality run. In theory, I could extend my run on one leg, either there and back, or by a couple of kilometers but not much more. For context, I am training for some 21-kilometer trail races beasts this season, so increased time on feet is important. Thanks. That's a great question. Yeah, go ahead. You want me to kick her off? Yeah, kick her off. (laughs) Okay, so she said something very important there, which is she really enjoys doing it. And that right there, to me, trumps 
any minuscule differences between doing 10K straight or 2 by 5 k AM and PM. Because the return on investment of 10K straight versus 2 by 5 k is going to be single-digit, low single-digit percentage difference. It's not going to be very big. But the return on investment of doing something that you truly enjoy doing is very big. If the placebo effect is roughly 7% in clinical trials, that is higher than any difference between running doubles or singles. You cannot truly quantify a 7% difference in those two, so keep doing what you're doing. That's what I'll start with. Yeah, I'm glad you picked that out because I would have started somewhere else. But yeah, enjoyable is probably the most key thing in that. Uh, it's more like, you know, these are one of those questions where I have more follow-up questions. Like, are you still doing everything we ask on the, mm -hmm. on the day that you're commuting to and from work? Meaning, do you commute to work and home, and then you get home and do the workout we're assigning? Or is it part of the workout for you? Which is, there's no wrong answer to that. Um, I would say the most important thing for you, Sarah, is to get in. So clearly, you're getting plenty of volume if you're running six miles uh, or 10K a day for five days of the week going to and from work. Um, that's pretty much all the recovery work you need there. So the important thing is you're not replacing the quality sessions we're asking of you by doing these runs to work and then being like, well, I ran six miles today. I can't possibly do this quality session assigned on Tuesday. Um, I don't, I'm not taking it as that that's the case. So I think you're probably doing exactly correct there. If it were me, I would probably make the workout on my way to work, get it out of the way, leave early, turn that 5k into whatever it needs to be in order to get the work done. Um, and then just make it a real, if you're breaking your runs up during the week, that's fantastic. That's more people should be doing what you're doing. My hat's off to you. Um, just make sure you're getting one longer effort in over the weekend that is prescribed. Um, and you could break up your midweek runs into as many little dinky segments as you need to. So hit your quality work no matter what, and try to get that one longer effort in over the weekend. And your fitness is going to be as good, probably better for the extra volume you're putting on your feet, as long as it's aerobic and you're staying healthy. So, um, again, I have more questions, but, um, that'd be like blanket advice off of what I'm understanding the situation to be. Yeah. I agree with Bracken. You agree with me? Yeah. My mind went straight there too. She enjoys it and it's de-stressing for her. So I don't know why she should stop. Mm -hmm. Now I've had a few athletes do this in the past. Most of them were overseas. Uh, maybe it's just more conducive to that lifestyle over there. But what we ended up doing is when volume, when either at the beginning when the overall volume of trying to get a quality run and the run home is too much, or later on when the quality workouts got too big, is what we started doing was introducing a bike into the mix. So um, the night, or let's say in the morning before a big workout, he or she would bike to work that morning. Now you don't have the wear and tear on your legs and do the quality workout on the way home. And then that way you extend the long, the run on the way home if you need to. And then the next day you run back as your recovery run and then bike back home. Mm. So you've limited some pounding that day or vice versa. You, uh, you have your bike at work already and then you, uh, do your quality run to work and then bike home in the, in the afternoon and then run the same the next two days and then find another time to get your bike there. But we use that a decent amount and in good weather, I mean, if you're running, you can bike for the most part, as long as you have the right gear, but especially in good weather, that, that was an effective way to balance things out. And yeah, then you just really use the weekend to get your, your time on feet runs. My question always is, what is the setup for, for post run? How are you getting your work clothes to work? Are you showering? Where do you change? Do you run with clothes on your back? If so, 
do you keep them in a waterproof bag so you're not sweating on them? It's all it's, those are the, the the moving pieces I'm always intrigued about. I think you stash all your gear like a squirrel at uh, at your work. It's what most people would do. They plan ahead for how long? For until you can go pick it up. How do you get it there? The day before, the last time you drove to work. At my last job, we had lockers. What did you do? What job was well, this? Well, no, a dentist. Oh. I would drive to work, and then I had like my work clothes in my locker. And we actually did laundry at our at our office, but I would wear my gym clothes. I would run outside, get back to work, um, change. I wouldn't shower, and then work, and that was it. It's amazing yeah. how many women get away with, like, the not showering. Like, I'll have g- clients come in the gym for a 7 a.m. session, but they need to be to work by 8.30, so we get done at 8, and they just screw it. They go freshen up, whatever that means, and then they go to work without showering. It's just mind-blowing. <laughs> like, I could not get away with that, not in a, not for a second. A good sponge bath. <laughs> I don't even have hair, and I can't get away with that. Plus, sweaty hair? I don't know. So wh- when I was going in for a surgery, I biked. I want to say it was ju- it was 10 miles to the MRI uh, center. And I tried to bike there casually, and I had a pack on my back, and I put my spare clothes in there. And I parked my bike. I locked it up. I walked in there, and I was just sweating. And my shirt was soaked, and he just looked at me like, what is happening here? And I had to like, oh, I just uh, I, I biked here. I'll go, I'll go change. Don't worry. And then I went in there, and I pulled my stuff out, and I had my shirt wrapped around my shorts, wrapped around spare boxers, and actually boxer briefs i haven't worn boxers since college yeah you're not a child i I do not understand the concept of boxers just doesn't it's a non-starter for me but the shirt was wet because my back had sweat on it i was like i don't understand how people commute to work you can't arrive there without sweating i don't get it more power to them though i like your suggestion of the bike i have a handful of athletes that do the bike commute we actually don't take that into account at all in their volume it's just Mm. extra aerobic time they go pretty easy and then we still hit our run training but um i think we covered that one pretty good bracken i agree all right next one all right uh this is from robert here's a reasonable q a question you know i'll be hitting high rocks toward the end of the year if i'm lucky i'll be able to hit bubbles gym before then and get a get a better feel for the high rock sled but given the access only to the Spartan Deca tank, would it be, be better to overload it at the least resistance or overloaded to the heaviest resistance with the less weight? Sorry, that's a rough read. No, you, you didn't stutter once. I would overload the heaviest resistance to the heaviest weight. 100%. And then if possible, push it uphill. It's such a difference. I was having a discussion with one of my athletes, Chad Coleman, uh, yesterday. We had a great discussion kind of about his training, and he just came off of high rocks. And he was saying that he puts like 790 pounds on his sled at home. That's everything he kind of has in his home gym. And he said it didn't even hold a candle to the Mm -hmm. 300-plus pound sled that he pushed at high rocks. He's like, I don't even know how to get more resistance. He's like, I'm going to have to put – like sandpaper on the bottom of my sled so it rubs against the carpet and creates friction because I can't even get 800 pounds to feel like a high rock sled does on those carpets. And so to back up your sentiment, 100%, heaviest resistance and add weight. That's the option. It's one of those things that everyone talks about and no one truly appreciates it until they feel it. 
everyone plays pays lip service. Yeah, it's really bad. But in the back of your mind, you're like, come on. I'm probably just going to be better than them at that. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad. And then you do it and you feel it. So what I found the only way to prepare for it is you have to overload it. And then you have to lower wherever you would normally push on the sled. You have to lower your hands at least six inches down from there. Because that then forces your angle of push to be at a worse angle to be able to push the weight and it changes your ground contact. So less of your feet can be on the ground pushing with good traction. And that's the only thing that brings you closer. I lowered my hands, I think seven inches on my sled and instantly thought, oh, this feels more like high rocks. It's not as much about the weight as it is. You can't push your feet with confidence and traction into the ground. And so everything else has to kind of, it's like running in on ice. Everything else has to tense up and take the load so that you can try to move it because you can't trust your feet to plant. And that's what makes it so taxing and tiring is you're using all these other stabilizers at max capacity just so that your feet don't slip out from underneath you. So get low on the sled, no matter what your, your strategy is in training. That's great advice. And then uh, if you can uh, put the brakes on the tank, I would suggest doing that as well. It's really, really create some friction there. Yeah. I don't think those have a brake system, but if they did. Ryan Kent uses the tank exclusively. He doesn't have a regular sled. And his thing is he pulls it and pushes it up his driveway. Yeah. He said it never feels the same, but uphill, slightly uphill, is the closest I can get to being ready for it. Anything to add, Jessica? <laughs> no, that question was gibberish to me to begin with. I don't know any <laughs> bubbles, Jim. I <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Bu- bu- that's good. He, we, we, bubbles is a bubbles a clown. You don't know, you don't know bubbles a clown? <laughs> no. Oh well. Anyway, bubbles bubbles owns a gym out east, and he's mm. a he's a deca fit and high rocks athlete. Okay. Um, everybody, not everybody, but the community knows bubbles. <laughs> he's a much nicer and more normal person than the name Bubbles the Clown would suggest. (laughs) Wait, Bubbles does not suggest nice? I think any adult that uses anything the clown as their their handle is not to be trusted. I agree with that. But he's a truly fantastic person in real life. I bet you Lisa, Lisa disagrees with her love for insane clown posse. I bet you she, she's drawn to the clown, adult clowns. (laughs) Bracken, you better watch out. That's creepy. Uh, you better go see if there's somebody named Bubbles in Lisa's phone. Yeah. I I have to go, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question. All right. This is from Kieran. This is the second one. From, is this the same Kieran as before? Hold on. Let's see how much Kieran is. There's a few Kierans in the sport. We had a Kieran before, didn't we? Keaton. Oh, we had Keaton Billings. My bad. Keaton, and this is Kieran. Kieran Benson. Keaton Billings and Kieran Benson. Same initials. See how I got confused there. Okay. All right. She says, hey, yeah. Uh, he says, honey. Oh, got a question for Q&A or ASAP. I've got a competition, or I, sorry, I've got a competitive 10K in March, but want to be more competent slash build a better marathon should i follow a 10k plan for march and then build out into a marathon plan or just go marathon plan because you can always race down distance but up never works out my ultimate feeling is i just want to have more volume in my legs this year because i plan on doing a marathon each day for the month of september and i believe building the endurance sooner than later would be of benefit 
Maybe you should dream a little bigger, Kieran. I don't think a marathon a day for a month is big enough. <laughs> Once again, everything I was preparing to say went out the window with the very uh-huh. last piece, which is, oh, by the way, I think generally I should just go big because I want to do a marathon a day. <laughs> yes, yes, you should. We talk about you can always race down, but it's tough to race up. The caveat to that is marathon training often deadens your legs for every other type of running. A half marathon training, I think you could run a great 10K off of. Sometimes 50K training is better for a 10K than marathon training because with 50K, sometimes you get rid of some of those long, grindy tempo workouts and just do big volume and run a little bit of speed to stay sharp. But for some people in certain marathon programs, it actually makes you slower at everything other than the marathon. So in theory, yeah, volume up, race down. But in practicality, sometimes that's tricky. You might want to do a 10K block, get through it, and then switch to marathon training. And then all that goes out the window when you tell me you want to run a marathon a day for a month, in which case go nuts on your volume. Yeah, it comes up to 194 mile weeks for four weeks in a row. You're basically doing 200 mile weeks. Uh, four weeks in a row if that is your plan um yeah however i don't really think sustaining volume building up to that from now until september that's going to leave you as fried as anything i actually would compartmentalize this i would i train for the 10k till march and then i would do a nice a couple ebb and flow gradual builds and deloads uh, but you're gonna have to get on that like the minute you cross the finish line for that 10k give yourself a recovery day or two uh, as long as you're not overtrained, and then dive right into it. But uh, I would get going on that immediately afterwards. But I think if you got going on the proper training during a marathon a day, you're going to be to detriment of your turnover for the 10K, I would guess. Um, so yeah, that's what I think. But uh, great, good on you. I wonder why you're doing that, Kieran. You should, if, if there's something going on, or if it's just because you got too much time on your hands, or you're trying to, you know, save the world. I'd be very curious to hear your reasoning. For- When someone does something big like that, trying to run across America or trying to run across the UK or doing an ultra or a marathon a day, my very first thought is, oh, you better get in the weight room. 100%. It's not, let's build up to 80 or 100 mile weeks to, no, it's let's build up everything that's going to fail on you and set you up for injury during the attempt and get that as close to bulletproof as possible because you can learn to run a marathon a day over the course of it. And you're going to end up walking a lot of it most likely. But what you can't learn to do is strengthen your tendons Mm -hmm. in the middle of that. Let's get lifting now so that you can handle the damage that you're going to put yourself through then. Yeah. And don't go in tired, meaning like you're actually going to want to, you might want to go in with two weeks of complete deload of running 10 miles a week or something to really charge back up because this is things going to get real nasty. We don't need to get into details now, but you certainly are not going to want to, you're going to want to go in with perfect health. Whatever it takes to get there, you're going to need to set yourself up that way. So you need to be, the bulk of your volume should be June and July. August should be a, a gradual ramp down, to be honest, and then get into it. But we don't need to make a training plan for you on this podcast live. No. I read a very interesting article. It was about someone who was invited to join a crew that was rowing across, I believe, the Atlantic Ocean. Hmm. And they had less time to prepare than the rest of the crew. I think they were a replacement or they needed another person. And they didn't have the rowing background of the people who were in the boat. And so they went to a a pretty big time trainer and asked for help with this. And the article is about the style of training they use. But it was basically about, uh, and I'm blanking on the 
the the version of what it's called it's some sort of russian circuit training or something like that um but they focused heavy on the weight room preparation for the places that rowing is going to break you down mm. over the course of what is it going to be two weeks of rowing or whatever it took all day long like eight to ten hour sessions of rowing across the ocean and over the course of this this person who prepped in the weight room with whatever the minimum amount of actual rowing work needed was outperformed a lot of the people in the boat because they didn't get injured and they didn't break down physically so on any one given day they couldn't have been the best rower but they handled the duration and the damage better than anyone else and that becomes the name of the game. It's who can move as these huge efforts go on. It was a very interesting article. I'm going to try to find it. Maybe we'll post it. But it was it was cool to see that that different approach to it. Because a lot of people would just say, get as many thousands of kilometers on that rowing machine as mm. possible before you go over. And that's not what they focused on. Well, these circuits was the last circuit, like 200 cc's of testosterone in the butt cheek. You think that was part of the uh, Russian circuit there? key to success yeah they might have gone thigh thigh i don't know if you'd want to sit on a needle mark <laughs> oh that's a good point bad joke uh be interesting to hear that actually the concept of it the concept if i recall correctly was like starting with 10 and moving up to 30 seconds of short pulsing strength work so getting to halfway or deep into a squat and doing 30 second of pulse work and almost blowing out but not completely and then resting and doing it again and doing it with uh, close grip push-ups for your triceps and staying relatively low and, and doing pretty good solid but smooth reps for like 20 to 30 seconds. And I thought it was a very interesting way of doing it. I mean, it's high rep, but it was like kind of high tensile movements where you keep stress and tension on it the whole time. I don't know if tensile is the right word, high tension. Yeah, when the muscles elongated and the tendons and ligaments are stretched out, you're forcing it to do work and it's sort of stretched state, which you think would build up some sort of resistance over time. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. But it came from a lot of the grapplers and jujitsu players from, uh, from Eastern Europe for having to build up uh, grip strength that can go for 10, 15, 25 minutes of constant control of wrestling without blowing out your fingers and those small little muscles and tendons in there that are easy to blow out, strengthening those to be able to handle things the same way that like a quad or a glute could handle it. I like that you called them uh, jujitsu players. It's like <laughs> calling somebody a, run a running player. It's actually the term. No, it is A jujitsu player. You are wrong. Look it up. Listen, Fact check me right now. We have the answers on this podcast and I'm giving everybody the answer. <laughs> Jiu-jitsu player, not accurate. Is that Does that sound accurate to you? Look it up. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. All right. Somebody chime in. <gasps> but, um, we got My phone's got the questions pulled up. Can't look it up. Sorry, my hands are tied. Jess has my phone. She's <laughs> monopolizing it. I wonder how they went to the bathroom, those rowers, for two weeks. Just hang it yeah. off the side of the boat? That's a good... These are the questions. I feel like you need to train for they, that. It's of course they had like a crew boat with them that they probably slept in overnight and pooped in mm. and ate in and they probably anchored so they didn't cover any more distance while they slept I don't know okay. overnight got back in the boats right you can't poop in the ocean not when other people are around anyways <laughs> yeah. next question all right this is from Jabari hey good day to you 
I'm eight weeks out from my racing season kicking off, specifically my first beast after handling six various Spartan race distances, a few sprints, and supers. I'm on the running program and adding in strength and grip work to this. I remember you all talked about fitness boot camps being the IPAs of the fitness industry. Although it's <laughs> it has its benefits. <laughs> that was Bracken. <laughs> Although it has its benefits, it can also mask efficiencies. This year, I'm planning to scale back on those due to not seeing carryover into my race performance and subbing in weight and aerobic Metcon instead. The boot camps did involve heavy weight and plyometrics. So my question is, how can I plug in some effective Metcon work without compromising my running volume? The IPAs of the fitness world. I remember when you said that, and I liked it because I thought it was clever, but also mildly <laughs> insulting to both boot camps and IPAs. So you, you insulted both camps. Yeah, and the interesting thing or ironic thing is that I've come around slightly on IPAs since then. Mm. It turns out the acquired factor of IPAs just had a longer half-life than what I experienced in other types of beers. So it's uh, still not my favorite, but I still stand by the fact that most breweries will just throw hops at IPAs and cover up their skunk beer. Maybe you should take a boot camp this weekend. I've done boot camps. They're fine. They just can't be the crux of your training if you're training for performance. But jumping into boot camp once or twice a week is fine. But really, if, if you're looking to replay, and I'm not saying don't go to boot camps. I'm not. But make sure that you choose them with purpose if you are purposeful about what your competition is going to be. To replace them, simply take the movements that you felt physically benefited you inform a Metcon out of them or incorporate them into your compromised work or as warm-ups or finishers to your strength training. Those are the three ways to do it, in my opinion. I really do like the format of taking a um, like a generalized boot camp, having that be the, like the starter of your workout, and then going out and hitting, let's say, a long run immediately afterwards on a fatigued body. I think there's a lot of merit to that. Who cares what the what the mm. composition of the boot camp is? Let's amount fatigue and then go run on it. Like that's okay with me. It's a style that works for some people. Um, but other than that, um, you know, I I don't know how much what you're all on with our um, our running plan. I can't remember if he alluded. Yeah, he's on the running program. Um, two strength workouts and one Metcon a week is going to cover your needs if they're done with purpose. And so if you're going to replace it, I think aim for three days of stimulus, two structured weight training days with actual rest. And then one day where you're getting the heart rate up and running through circuits, much like Bracken said, pick and choose things that seem to move the needle from a stimulus standpoint in those boot camps. Um, I would say that's where I would start. Um, I don't know if I have any more advice other than that, other than I do think um, – some boot camps are legit. We have Spartan boot camps around the country that are very good. I don't know which ones you're going to, so it's hard to say. Um, I don't know if that was helpful at all or not. But Yeah, and, and I know it sounds like I'm trashing boot camps, and I, I'm trashing some boot camps. But the purpose of boot camps, like 80 to 90% of the time, is to leave you feeling like you got a great workout in. And for many people, if not most, that's as important as anything. They take good tried and true, tried and true movements 
and then they add more things around it so that you don't have to go super hard or heavy on any of those movements so that you don't have to fail out or be poor at them, but you fill it in with enough things around it that you're just generally fatigued and wiped out at the end of the workout. And then you know you've done something good because you're sore and you're, you're, you're tired head to toe. But once you move towards performance, it's better for you, in my opinion, to take those tried and true movements and isolate them and do them heavier, faster, harder, or longer, rather than muddy the water with the in-between pieces that are needed to round out the workout for the everyday athlete. You don't need those because you're also doing your cardiac work through running throughout the rest of your week. So that's that's kind of my hedging my bets on all of this is that it's not bad. It's just you're not the intended audience most of the time. If you're listening to this saying, I'm preparing for a Spartan beast on top of six other races. Or just spend five bucks a month on our strength plan and we'll do all of the thinking for you. Easy enough. Yes. Yes. Just want gots to eat too, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Put that money in the bank account. Jabari, our bank account. That's right. Ready for the next one? Oh, yeah. All right. I don't know if this was a typo or intentional. It says Q&A. What up, Broken Cracker and Kirk? <laughs> I think, broken. <laughs> I think that was him being funny. And it oh. is funny. I probably heard that for the first time when I was six. Oh, really? That's like a thing? I think it's a thing that many people think of and think, oh, I got a new one for him. Ah. But it's not. That's funny. No, it's spelled broken, yeah. and cracker is spelled like a cracker you eat. So I have to, I have, to, and Kirk is spelled perfect, K-I-R-K, <laughs> with capital K. My, I think it was on purpose. Okay. He says, trying to plan a solo 100 miler with my dog. Key Largo to Key West. Already mapped it, pretty hard to get lost, LOL. Only question, do you know any running strollers I can buy so the dog can take breaks as needed while I keep preserving on an ultra solo with my pup on an adventure of a lifetime? This year is all about travel, and my dog is my life. Bracken, you will understand one day. The thought of taking my best friend and my family across a journey that sounds stupid to most excites the hell out of me. Long-winded, running stroller that can fit a 60-pound stroller. LOL. Love you guys, but I'm seriously going to do this run for the fun this year with my pup. He he meant a 60-pound dog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he says he never had kids and he's never bought a stroller before. I did answer him personally. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. What was your answer? Well, my answer was that there are now a million options out there for running strollers. It used to be there are very few. Uh, the, The Bob strollers, the B.O.B., I think it's Baby on Board are kind of like the gold standard of they're expensive enough that you feel like you're getting a good product. They're heavy and sturdy enough that they're going to last forever. They have good resale value because almost no one keeps a baby their entire life as a baby. So you're going to have no use for it anymore. So it's kind of like getting a concept two where you're, if you sell a concept two, you're going to get a lot of your investment back. So the Bob stroller works well, but the big key here is you're going to want a front facing stroller. There are some that, uh, that go behind you and they're easier and faster to run with. They hook up to a harness or to a belt, but you don't want to for a hundred miles be constantly checking back to see how your dog's doing. You want everything in front of you. Uh, and then you're going to want one with a sunshade that does full enough coverage 
that your dog, just like a baby, isn't baking in the sun. But the downside of that is that a 60-pound dog is bigger than a 20-pound baby. So you're going to need to get possibly a double or triple seater so that your dog has enough room to be comfortable and have coverage. So that's my all-encompassing. Oh, and the final thing was you want bike tires. You do not want stroller tires. You have the option on strollers, running strollers included. They don't always have the best tires. You want full bike tires for that rolling resistance, and it's just much, much better. Don't have anything to add to that. I could make something up if you'd like. We don't have dogs. We don't have kids, so. I think more room the better, though. I'll tell you what. Good luck on your venture, man. That sounds uh, pretty epic. Yeah. And you're right. Hard to get lost when there's only one road to really travel on. So that'll be that'll be epic. I do love the concept of that. I think the execution would suck in that type of weather. But in terms of the concept of just running point to point in the keys, that's pretty awesome. Water is going to be the issue. If your dog likes to chase animals like squirrels or rabbits or deer, they have these little things there called key deer. It's the only place they live in the world. And these deer are not afraid of people. So if your dog likes to chase little animals and you see a key deer off to the side, make sure that dog is on lock. Otherwise, you might be going for a little adventure in the woods. So that's my one advice there. There are going to be some animals he's going to want to chase around. I'm being serious. You never know. A dog on the loose... You got to watch out for that. That's my advice. That's right. All right. All right. Chris Davis says, question, maybe one for the pod Q&A about incidental exercise. I have such a sedentary job sitting at a desk for some 12 hours a day. Compare that to people with much more active jobs who admittedly may find themselves tired for workouts. Should I be trying to increase my incidental exercise, step counts, general movement on top of my scheduled workouts? Will this move the dial in my fitness? Would strapping on leg weights for when I walk about the office make any difference apart from making me look even more of a legend slash idiot? <laughs> I'll go with legend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The answer yes. is yes. <laughs> we talked about this a few times in a couple different ways in Q&As in the past. Yeah, and this is an athlete of mine, Chris, who lives over in Hong Kong. He's got a high-stress, him and his wife, Maggie, who I both coach, got high-stress desk jobs um, where they're, uh, yeah, they're stationary. I remember watching, speaking of Sebastian Coe, there's a Seb Coe documentary out there that I really enjoy. I don't know if you've seen it, but he taught his, you know, his dad's driving the car next to him as he's doing hill repeats and all this other stuff. It's pretty iconic footage, actually. Mm-hmm. But he talks about, like, how serious he's taking his training at the time, and he's talking about, like, well, I work out in the morning and I work out in the evening, and to do something like go walk around the mall or the grocery store is a tremendous waste of energy in my situation, and I wouldn't dasn't do that, right? And to a degree, yeah, like, you're kind of lucky that you can be charged up and antsy and ready to go. Like a cage animal wants to be let out of his cage. And what happens when you're gone all day and you let your dog out the door? He goes ripping, right? Kind of you could use that as your advantage. At the same time, you know, if you're training for ultras or you do have something else on your agenda that requires a lot of time on feet, then we start to muddy the waters a bit. But I actually don't mind the fact because you're so – I know how active you are. You know, you're you're training for 10-plus hours a week, Chris. I think you don't need to worry about it um, in your – if you're trying to lose weight, if you had some – ultra aspirations which you don't um i wouldn't even i wouldn't even worry about it what do you think yeah i think that for i mean if you look at professional running groups you see people who 
they are either working out and training or they are laying down and napping or playing video games or watching movies. They're not doing anything in between. And then you see the groups that are out there going for hikes in in between or swimming or going to the beach or playing golf or whatever it is. And it all evens out. To me, what it comes down to is what is your life energized by? A standing desk is fantastic if you want to be, if you want to run UTMB. If you're trying to run a 5K or a 10K PR, I don't think it has any bearing whatsoever. But what gives you energy in life or what detracts from your energy? I'm not a standing desk person. I tried it. It was miserable. I never really adapted that well. I hated it. Uh, I think my feet got stronger, but it didn't balance out how much I hated it. So it didn't work for me. And there are some people I know that have been doing standing desk for seven straight years and they've never felt better in their life every second of the day. So I don't think it matters. I think what matters is what works for you. Me personally, if I had a high stress job that was sedentary, rather than investing in a walking treadmill under my desk or a standing desk, I would invest in a chair of some sort that I could flip my legs up, get them above my waist and get massaged in throughout the day rather than worry about getting up and standing and moving around. I think the big enemy is having your legs bent at 90 degree angles and sitting there and having blood pooling and having your lower back issues arise. If you can avoid those, I don't think it matters one way or the other. Maybe you could. that could be your million dollar invention. The elevated leg massager. I mean, I think they have, I think they have chairs like that. It's a desk attachment though. Oh, not a desk attachment. Yeah. I would just set something up where when I wasn't needing to be upright and looking at the screen, I would have my feet up and I'd be kicked back. If I was on a call or if I was thinking or doing laptop work, uh, upright sitting is just bad for humans. Yeah, I, I'm lucky to like working from home. It's like I can't go longer than a half hour, 45 minutes. I might just get up and look out the window and pace back and forth just to straighten the legs out and then come back, sit down. I think doing that is beneficial just from not like getting your attachment points too tight and things like that. But I'm assuming he does mm-hmm. that already. So um, I don't know. Ankle weights? What do you think on the ankle weights, Bracken? Jess, actually. <laughs> Jess Jess has probably worn more ankle weights than any of us, you know. I've never worn an ankle weight. What do you think about the ankle weights? Are I like expect- it. You I do? think <laughs> I think you should go for it. Why? What do you think would be the benefit? Build stronger ankles. <laughs> Keep it simple and speak with authority. I like it. Again, those things, I think, matter the longer your intended race. If you're going overnight, if you're going multiple days, do everything. Walk barefoot around there, wear ankle weights, uh, sit in an ice bath all day. I don't care. Do whatever it takes to get you outside your comfort zone and build up the little stabilizers. I agree. All right. Shelby. Shelby says, hey, guys, I love listening to your podcast on my runs. As a coach myself, it's been helpful to incorporate new things into my kids' workouts, and they're living it as well. Question for the next Q&A, or three Q&As from now, LOL. A lot of people are digging you guys. Is mileage still mileage? We had some bad weather recently, so I moved, uh, and so I moved an easy run to the elliptical. I did the same amount of mileage that was scheduled that day, just on the elliptical. I got to the end of my week and am beating myself up because my run tracker has me short on my goal, but I have to keep reminding myself that I still did the mileage just on the elliptical. For reference, whenever I do elliptical, I also alternate between mid-resistance incline and high-resistance slash incline intervals. Thanks. Failure. (laughs) Yes. 
Shame. 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 Uh, not at all. I've made uh, half a career off of no. doing exactly that, Shelby. Now, the only caveat. So, one, smart. Two, good job for doing something if you couldn't get outside and run instead of skipping it altogether. Three, yes, it counts and it moves the needle forward for you. Now, the only difference here is is mileage gets somewhat close on elliptical machines and rowers. But most everything else, and it's it's close, right? Like an eight mile elliptical might be that of an eight mile run. Um, but if you're you're better off going off a of time if you want to change implements. Um, say your your uh, I don't know your recovery run. Does she say how far? I don't think so. Um, say eight miles takes you seventy minutes, eighty minutes, then just a lip, do the same amount of time. Don't worry about the distance. Yep. Um, because calibrations can be goofy there. So you, you know, only you'll know if that elliptical was close to the amount of time you would have run anyways. But I find the rower and elliptical somewhat translate somewhat closely, but anything else, like if you're on a bike or a stairmaster or anything, they're just so far calibrated differently. But I would just say swift to shift to time. But yes, you absolutely put the work in hundred percent. Don't beat yourself up. That's silly. Exactly. Time. And the easy example of that is, uh, you wouldn't hop on a bike and do a five mile recovery ride. If you were intending to do a five mile run, you do the duration, the time. So that's, that's a hundred percent it. And yeah, the, uh, I live with someone who is very greatly impacted. If her Strava numbers do not look the way she wants them to look. If her chart has a blip in it, Ayla, <laughs> no, Ayla, Ayla is happy to be alive and everything <laughs> excites her. Okay. Mm. I thought, the, I thought you were talking about Ayla. Ayla's the best. Was it Ayla that Je- you and... You- oh, my gosh. We talked and talked and talked and talked. She's like a little adult. And she will talk. Yeah. Where do you think she gets, she gets from? that from? Oh. <laughs> we made the same joke at the same time, Bracken. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I get it. But, yeah, don't let your run tracker control you. You control it. You can turn it off at any point. Can't let it take over. Don't let your run tracker become Skynet. I agree. What's what's that mean? Oh, that's a Terminator reference. Hmm. Mm. I mean, I've seen it, but it's it's just not forefront of my brain. <laughs> you know, if you're that compulsive with your mileage, which most runners are, um, go on the back end of Strava and put in a manual run entry and put in your eight miles so you know you got the credit for it and you can see it on paper. Um, I don't mind doing that yep. if it helps keep your mojo going. Like, you can absolutely do that. Without a problem, and then you're going to see the progression that our compulsive runner nature needs. So I don't hate that idea either. I don't hate that idea because I just said it. I have done that many times where I'll jump on the treadmill. I'll jump on the treadmill at 10% incline and run for an hour. And my Garmin will tell me 3.2 miles. And I'll just delete that run and go on Strava and put in a a a 7.5-mile recovery run. Mm -hmm. I sleep perfectly fine at night having done that yeah in fact it could be an accurate way to if you know if you're not always just looking at hours and time if you're really focused on mileage it's a good way for you to actually go back and still be able to gauge weeks um that aren't all running yes next question all right from dom and sandra kirk and bracken i know i am not your running public demographic but i love your podcast and have learned so much I'm a female closing in on 67. I actually just started running two years ago and I'm hooked. I have now done four half marathons and several shorter races. 
I have cramped in the last three halves, calves and hamstrings. So disappointing. Do you have some tips for me? I recently added in more strength training and am focused on fueling. This happens right around mile eight. Last weekend, I ran the Mesa half and did everything I could. Wore calf compression sleeves, drank pickle juice and electrolytes, drank two hot shots, took about four or five salt sticks and some chews slash gels. I think all this helped. Cramping was not as bad as in my full half, but I don't want to give up running longer races, but I'm really struggling. Any tips would be appreciated. It's awesome. Yeah. Kirk and I responded to her. I believe we both actually replied, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And we went right where you'd think we'd go. Kirk started talking about strength work and I started talking about shoes. And I, no, I just said not enough pickle juice. I said more pickle juice. <laughs> said you need a four to five liter bladder full of pickle juice and you need to sip out of that you will be just from fine. the gun. Continue. Go ahead, Bracken. You can. Yeah. And, and really outside of something extreme being in imbalance in your or being out of balance in your body, this probably is not a mineral problem. This is a strength problem or this is a stress problem. And so Kirk will take the strength. I'll take the stress. My question was, A, are you doing race-paced runs or intervals or long runs? Do you cramp during those? B, if so or if not, are you wearing your race shoes for those specific runs? And those two questions will tell you if this is a a stride thing, if it's a shoe thing, if it's a pace thing, if it's a type of terrain thing. If you're doing all your long runs on the grass and you're running on the roads and you cramp by mile eight, maybe it's impact. If you're doing all your long runs in your cushion trainers and you're racing in a pair of racing flats, well, I would cramp too if I did that probably. A half marathon and minimal shoes, yeah, that would bring it out. Uh, and if you and if you're not sure about all those answers, then uh, I think Kirk's second part of this is going to answer any of the remaining questions. I'm going to upset a few people right now, and this is not me poking fun uh, at you, Sandy. Sandy at all. I think freaking amazing. 67, picking up running, running half marathons. You inspire me. I mean that. And you are the audience. You are the running public. Yeah, yeah. Of course you're the audience. Yes, you are absolutely. Um, what do I think? Pickle juice, hot shots, salt sticks. That's like the fitness fads of the fitness industry. That's like buying a waist belt that contracts your abs for you. And you think, why don't I have abs a month later? It's like taking hydroxy cut or fat burner pills and wondering why I can't sustain my fat loss or look better. It's like buying the next contraption for $19.99 on the internet and then still being fat and out of shape. And you thought this little dumb thing was going to change your life. That's all that stuff you talked about are those fads, in my opinion. The real thing that makes people lose weight or get fit is going and doing it the old-fashioned way, which is getting to the gym, do hard work, do your running, eat well, and eventually you get the results you want. You're not going to get it by buying your hydroxy cut or your ab belt contractor. What I'm saying here is all that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much is the real foundational work. That's what's going to prevent you from cramping. And I'm just going to back up what Bracken said. Like you, Your body is not ready for that stimulus. You don't put it through the proper rigors in training for it to handle race day, and it revolts on you. It has nothing to do with your pickle juice or your hot shots or your salt sticks. I mean, yes, those things are important. You want to keep your electrolytes in check, and you want to make sure you're well-fueled and all that. So I'm not <laughs> foo-fooing it, but it literally it's the least important part 
other than exposing your body to race day stimulus and training. Duration, intensity, combine the two on race day and your body revolts. Well, no wonder why. How often are you really simulating that in your training? Of course your body pushes back. It's like, what is this new? I've never pushed this hard this long on this terrain in these shoes. And you break down. It has nothing to do with your pickle juice. Mm -hmm. So to hone that in, it's like, let's find a way to shoot bigger shots that are more like race day and training. And eventually you'll build up a good resiliency and you'll be way less likely to cramp. Now, some of those things can help, but they're afterthoughts. They're tertiary to your actual what you're doing when you're training. And so we could get into strength training, which is very important. Um, but I think more than anything, I just want to echo your point and then say it like a little more sarcastically, which I think I've accomplished. I think so. Listen, if electrolytes are your issue and you take mustard or pickle juice or anything like that, your cramp goes away. If it doesn't go away, it's not an electrolyte imbalance. Exactly. People really do sweat themselves into cramps on long races. That's true. That's a fact. And then you take a salt stick and it goes away and people are like, oh my goodness, mustard is the cure-all. No, mustard fixed the imbalance you had and it was done. But if you start cramping and you keep cramping and it gets worse despite everything you're dumping into, that wasn't the issue. Sandy, you're doing a heck of a job. And it's okay to be unprepared. I cramped my way out of the 2013 Spartan World Championships. I had super good electrolyte levels. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready to pound down double black diamond ski slopes for three and a half hours. I worked hard that year. I was in really good shape. I liked my body. I liked my mindset. And I wasn't prepared for the task at hand. And it did not reflect poorly upon me. It reflected that I didn't teach to the test. So there's nothing wrong with missing a skill that the test requires. It just gives you something to work on in the future. Cramping isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of not being prepared correctly. That's not a flaw in you. That's a flaw in the training system. And if let's say you are like, maybe, maybe you are hitting the appropriate stimulus. Maybe you did it all in your race shoes. Maybe you really have done everything we just said. So maybe all of what we said is null and void. In this situation, um, the one thing I find is go get your magnesium levels checked or get on some sort of supplement. I've had a handful of athletes who've gotten like uh, cocktail injections or so to speak, or take their magnesium. And sometimes some people are more prone to cramping or you're magnesium deficient. And that has fixed it for a, two of my athletes now. It's notably better on dosing magnesium. Like sometimes your body just needs something else to prevent. And magnesium has done the trick for two athletes of mine, like cramping to the point of like, what am I even doing? Like, I don't even want to do this. I'm miserable. And then being able to run cramp free. Yeah. So that would be one thing that you didn't mention. Like if you are doing everything we mentioned, get that looked into. That'd be the first place my mind would go like on a micro or micronutrient standpoint. Yeah, because some people are just crampers. You're scrampy. <laughs> Jess, do you have to pee? No. Yeah, you do. No, I don't. Oh, she's wiggling. Her legs are kind of wiggling underneath the desk. and I, oh. That's what happens to me when I have to pee. I get like sort of squirrely. No. Um, we have two questions left. Two questions left. Two left. Look at us. All right. Oh, shoot. This, okay. I don't know if we want to answer this. We want to dedicate this to an entire training Tuesday. This next mm. one, I saved it. It's from an, well, a former athlete of mine. Um let me know what you think, Bracken. Go All ahead. right. This is from Kristen. I will. Still interested in a training Tuesday on running for kids, how it changes based on age, how to implement what's safe, how to combine with other sports, kids' form, endurance versus speed, safe limits, footwear, so much you can cover. Just a thought if you guys are ever looking for topics, as so many of us have kids in sports, whether it's track or soccer, or lacrosse, etc., that can benefit from running. 
And then below that, somebody says, second this episode request. And then mm. somebody below that says, yes, great idea. And then the thread continues, but that's cut off. Wow. Hot topic. Okay. It should be its own episode. Do you want to give like a 30-second elevator pitch for your theory on this? Or 60-second? Or six-minute? Sure. Uh, training for kids. Um, there's a lot of contingencies here, age being the primary. But um, we had a discussion impromptu on an episode somewhere, I forget, where I couldn't even direct people to it. So we might as well synopse it. But why don't we do a full episode on this? Um, exercise needs to be play. It does not need to feel like punishment. So that's priority number one. If it feels like play most of the time, you'd be much more likely to come back to it. Spending a lot of time on feet and creating a lot of damage through long endurance training um, isn't uh, forethought here. It's more creating the biomechanical efficiency, which means short, faster uh, duration. That could mean 400-meter repeats, or it could mean back and forths or uh, line drills on the soccer field. Um, yes, you can go have your kid go run an easy two miles or whatever it is, um, but it's harder to gauge their efforts because kids always seem to go to the well and then and then die. Um, but we're not trying to create volume. You don't treat it like how many miles per week should we get my kid to, or how many hours per week? Nine, 80% of their training should be play, figuring it out that way. And then I would err much more on the shorter duration, like even through middle school and as being coached, the longest we ran was three miles as an eighth grader, seventh grader. Like we weren't going out for longer than three mile runs. And you allow them to develop that as they get older. So consistent, you could have them train every day. Kids are meant to do that. They're resilient little things. Um, just not pounding mileage mileage on them uh, would be the starting point. And we, I, I feel like I'm not doing this. A, uh, I'm doing it a disservice with my quick hit there. But um, we need to dive in further. What are your What are your first thoughts? Well, I'm going to be even quicker. I think there's two real ways to approach it. The rest are all case by case. The first is what should happen with most kids. And that is in a perfect world, they would do all the sports they want and develop your aerobic system through some sort of machine. That could be rollerblading. That could be skiing. That could be biking. That could be swimming. Whatever it is, just let them play and let them build up on other things and save all the running at the ages where they're growing and developing for fast running sprinting perfect form up on your toes making sure that the mechanics of running are flawless and do everything else go cross-country skiing go um do do i mean nordic sports would probably be the best but do a ton of cycling let let that happen wherever it wants and those are more fun for kids anyway and just let them sprint and work on good mechanics until they're ready to take training seriously the other route is for the child who actually requests running who wants to run and then it's the same thing except you add in easy running just go out for runs learning how to jog is a skill that most kids don't have they can sprint or they look like sprinters doing their warm-up lap where they do this awkward bound thing excessively slow long ground contact or they sprint and then walk sprint walk jogging's tough to teach a little kid it's weird how it, it's that's not a thing that they understand. So just getting used to going out for slow, easy runs and then do a lot of sprint drill or short interval work. I don't think you need to do threshold work. I don't think you need to do tempo runs. But for the kid that wants to develop as a runner, teach them how to run. Do not worry about volume or anything like that. Maybe it wasn't shorter. Good answer. Better answer than mine. 
Um, we'll we'll pay that the uh, res- different the, the attention it deserves and a full episode, Kristen. That's a that's a Kirk guarantee. Um, <laughs> that's a thing. Ooh. Yeah, Kirk oh, yeah. guarantee. When's the last thing I've Kirk guaranteed? I've you? never heard that. It's a thing, Kristen. <laughs> uh uh this is the last one and we're actually i mean maybe we have some that we haven't discovered but this is legit the last q a i have which means for the first time in like a year i will be able to clear out the q a folder which feels really good for me so this is a big moment you ready last question this is gonna send you off on eagle's wings to vietnam (laughs) it sure is Ooh, this is from sparty mcactive the topic is downhill running exertion. I've noticed in races and training. I keep trying to shove this in her face, this microphone, and she keeps going off to the <laughs> side to read. Like, every, if if her audio is a bit, so you need to talk. Yeah, you can hold this higher. Yeah, like that. Did you ever think of that? Mm. Okay. I, Guys, we made it almost to the end without you fighting. I can't take this. Just fake it for like five more minutes, yeah. and then you can go back well, to how you usually are. I, well, do you notice I keep shoving this in her face? She just keeps moving her face away from it. I'm oh, failing. I hate when couples fight in front of me and then put oh. me in the middle of it. I apologize, Bracken. Yeah, it's, yeah totally. Okay. I started it. All right. <clears throat> no, don't you take the fall here. It's always my fault. All right. Wait, hold on. She's joking. <laughs> God. I don't want to be getting messages about this. I've noticed in races and training that I have a hard time keeping my heart rate down while descending and wondering if you guys have any thoughts about what this might or what might be causing this slash what I can do to improve efficiency and manage exertion while running downhill. Here's an example. On a beast, I will typically try to keep my heart rate around 150 to 155 and I'm able to do this on flats and uphills by varying pace. Check. But on downhills, when I pick up the pace to a level that feels like the right level of exertion and similar to the flats and ups, I will often find my heart rate rises up to 165 to 168, which is too hot. Am I just going too fast on the downhill, even though my perceived exertion feels like it is okay? Thanks in advance. Well... You could be one heck of a downhill runner, and you just really know how to access your fitness going downhill. Yeah. But I don't think that's the case. It's, it's the least likely of scenarios. I think it's one of two things, most likely. If it were me and I was finding that happening, it'd be one of two things. The first is that maybe I just haven't been doing enough downhill work at race-type terrain and intensity. Oftentimes we're just more tense in a race going downhill and there are people around and we're running harder than we actually think we are. So maybe just more downhill reps to encourage your body to be able to do it more efficiently and relaxed. There's a difference between bombing downhill and bombing downhill relaxed. The second thing that it might be is that maybe you're not in training cresting a hard climb and immediately bombing down at race intensity. There's a difference between doing downhill work and doing compromised downhill work. If you get to the top of a big climb in a race and you've managed to just keep your heart rate in check and you're immediately descending, but you're not doing that one piece in the race, that's going to manifest in the hills are costing you much more because you're coming into them depleted. So those are the two places I go first. I think there's only one thing that's more costly than running uphill hard, and that is running downhill tense and breaking because you're slowing yourself down. Yeah. And I would have to think, like we say the term, like flow the downhills. 
I'd be curious as to if you aren't flowing the downhills. Like everything, like when you go downhill, it's like your core tightens. <laughs> Every you brace, you're just holding tension, and that elevates your blood pressure, elevates your heart rate. Um, and then the braking effect can be a lot of work to slow yourself down. And if you're already revved up from climbing, which you usually are before descending, then I think that would be the reasoning. I think it's a relaxation issue. Um, that'd be my best guess. We could be completely wrong here, by the way. You might be the flowiest downhill runner we've ever seen, and then maybe that's why your heart rate gets so high because you're able to sink your teeth into them. But my guess is it's a tension issue. It's a braking issue. Um, and heck, if you're nervous going downhill, you're worried about supermaning or face planning, could be an adrenal anxiety issue when you go down. Everything just gets heightened and you're on high alert. And it's just like it's hormonal as much as it is um, like physical. Could be. That's my guess. That's my best stab at it. Yeah, you're probably just hormonal. <laughs> yes, party. <laughs> yeah. Jess is like totally. Like I, no, I get that. Jess is the expert here. Yeah, it's funny how if in races where or workouts where I track heart rate, my descents as the workout go on, my heart rate drops more because I'm learning the terrain and thus being able to relax into it with confidence. And when I race a course or do a hill workout on a hill that I'm used to versus a hill that I do not know the terrain on, my uphills will look very similar and my downhills will look very different. Going on a new descent, you carry tension because you're worried or you're scanning or you're just intensely watching the ground and staying your upper body's a little tighter and your legs are a little stiffer. And going down a descent that you know well, you're just more relaxed even if you're going faster. Yeah, tension is the killer downhill. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what my first instinct says. Well, after hormones. <laughs> I did go right to hormones. Adrenal is a hormone. You're... You're twisting my words. Listen, you sound really hormonal. <laughs> now you guys are fighting. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, I had to fight with everybody here on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Just put the mic in front of your hormonal face and let's finish this episode. <laughs> well, lucky for us, that was the last question, Bracken. Mm -hmm. And Bracken and I have never truly fought, I don't believe. No. So I don't think so. This would be a noteworthy day. I don't know if we've even gotten close. Jess and I have never fought either. Like physically or verbally? Us or you guys? Oh, Jess and I fight physically all the time, but yeah, verbally never. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you consider a fight? Like you say, we've never fought. Is that true? No, I was lying. No. Oh. Of course we fought. Gotcha. Not often. Yeah. Duh. No. But no, I don't think you and I, Bracken, have ever even come close to a, a true altercation. No. We fight when I'm hormonal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get it. She's not wrong. It is true. Really, that's the only time. Like, why are you being so mopey for no reason? <laughs> and then that's a bad way to start a conversation. What'd you call me? I'm kidding. Mopey. Well, then I notice it because Kirk cycles with you. And then on that podcast, he's touchy. <laughs> yeah, we've synced. Yeah, we've synced. Um, that's our last question. So I think the big thing we should finish with is uh, any blanket advice Jess has for the running community. <laughs> Jess, again, three minutes. She hates this, by yeah. the way. She hates this. What is your advice? What do people need to hear today? What do people? Keep going. Try your best. Be strong. Never give up. What? That last one, really, I felt yeah, that last You're going to ruffle some feathers. <laughs> you're going to piss some people off. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. 
That's... So if you can take anything away from today's episode. What was it again? What were the three? The four? Keep going. Never give up. Stay strong. Be humble. It was try your best. Oh. Try your best. That was specifically for you. She added that. Piece <laughs> she doesn't even know her own rules. I'm sure I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> well, the people are going to demand more. Mm. Yeah, you can't you can't fake being inspiring. And yeah, it's just who you are, Jess. Follow me on Instagram. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's the real plug she was waiting to get I'm in joking. there. I'm getting real Tony Robbins vibes coming off the screen right now. I would run through a brick wall for that advice. All right. Anything we want to wrap with? I don't know. I'll, I'm Kirk, I might race this weekend. But the real question is, are you going to race? 66.666% chance. We got this snowstorm here overnight, and it canceled like 300 flights out of Minneapolis, and everybody got bumped back to tomorrow. Um, and yeah. thus the prices went through the roof. And so if I want to go to Mini, the best case scenario to Phoenix or Jacksonville I can find right now is 1648 bucks for my flight and hotel and rental car. And that's before I even pay for races. And I looked at that and I was like, I don't know if I can justify that before, you know, blowing two weeks on vacation. So I don't think it makes smart, logical sense for me to go. I'm going to look one more time today. Don't get me wrong. But you know what I did this morning is after I came to that realization, I'm like, I probably shouldn't blow two grand on the weekend to race, which it'll at least be that when it's all said and done. I completely blew out my legs in a strength workout this morning so I can have that excuse. Like, they're not going to work anyways on Saturday. Nice. So no, you can't go. So didn't I, Jess? I was grunting pretty hard in the kitchen. <laughs> you were. Yeah. So so I, I might have cornered myself into not going anywhere. But I didn't know you were racing. So what what's okay. going on there? Yeah. You going to Jacksonville now? You button hooking me? No. I'm going to go to Bristol, Wisconsin and mm. run the Boreal, Boreal uh, Trail Race. There'll be snow probably some ice and Corey fellows and I are going to meet up there and tear it apart. Kirk is seeing how far that <laughs> I'm is. I'm seeing how far it is. Uh, <laughs> watch out. Where, where, what city is this in? Bristol. B-R-I-S-T-O-L. Uh, I mean, I did my race week workout on yesterday. It's only about 35, 40 minutes. Five hours and 43 minutes. Oh, it's close to you. It's almost a six hour drive for me. Yeah, I guess you'll find out Saturday morning if you're worth it or not. <laughs> if I had any say in it, I always like seeing you, but this would not be worth driving 13 hours round trip for. Okay, then I won't yeah. go. Two and a half mile trail. You can do it uh, one through four times, whatever you want to do. You just go out and race the number of laps you want to do. How long are you going to go for? Well, this will be my second, I believe, outdoor run of 2023. I'll either wow. do uh, five miles or seven and a half. Five's probably smarter, but uh, three laps would be kind of fun. It would be fun. If you were up here, it would be, I mean, the laps would feel like twice as long if there was mm. a foot and a half or two of snow, which would be quite an experience. But I think you got luckier down there. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be in some studded VJs for sure, though. Yeah. I need some, some spikes in this. Well, throwing yourself in, I like it. It'll be yeah. fun, though. I haven't run a trail race. haven't run a trail race in over a year. Oh, almost two years. Well, you'll have to work hard enough for the both of us since I won't be racing this weekend. 
They got the the cane across, can across, that running with your dog going on at the same time. Oh, that's time. fun. Hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. I'd be booting dogs left and right. <laughs> if you haven't upset the dog owners yet, uh, you have now. Yeah, yeah, we're doubling down on that. I can hear a, a snowblower outside my house, and I'm wondering if my neighbor Bill is snowblowing my driveway, which bothers me. I want to do it myself. So I think I have some, I need to go check on this. Bill thinks he's better than us. One solid strategy is wait out your neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the plan. I had a podcast to record. You know what? He was out there this morning. We had this conversation on Tuesday with you. He was out there doing this this morning, and we saw four more hours of snow coming down. I was like, Bill, big mistake, dude. Wait till it's done. And it stopped in the last hour, and now it's time to take care of the snow, in my opinion. But maybe my waiting has gotten me out of a little bit of work. We'll see. And Bill's like my 76-year-old retired neighbor. And he's still like, if I don't get to it, I don't know if it bothers him that there's snow still in my driveway, but he'll come start getting to work on it. But I do feel a little bad. Well, that heavy, heavy, slushy snow we had this overnight, my uh, my mom got up and shoveled our sidewalk this morning. Aww. Mrs. Cracker. So, says a lot about you. Made me look bad. Yeah. yeah. Says a lot about us. It says everything you need to know about me. Two lazy SOBs over here. All right, let's kill this thing. We're done. That's we right. did it. We emptied my Q&A cash. I feel really good about that. So, Jess, it was delightful having you on here. Thank you for joining us. It was us. a great time. Of course. Thanks for your inspiration. Till the next snow day. I don't know if you know how this works, but it records audio separately, video separately, or all together. And I think we'll just release your video. Mm, so the whole time really we're talking, we'll just nice. have the Jess cam going. <laughs> I yeah, would like you that. You can be the face of the of the podcast. Thank you. People are sick of seeing ours anyways. Yeah. We'll match it up so that our audio comes out of your mouth. Oh. So all the conversation <laughs> will be you. That's a great idea. We're finished. All right. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Bye.